Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Welcome back to Action 22's Making Action Happen. I'm joined today with our co-host, Brian McCain. Uh, Again, we're going to be talking about the issues that are most pressing that we're facing in our Southern Colorado communities. We have a super great show for you today. We are going to have a report on a vaccination experience, a good one, of course, and then we're going to have Garen Borthman joining us in just a few minutes to talk a little bit about what's happening up at the Capitol. The Colorado legislative session just opened and there's a lot of interesting things happening and what we need to be watching. So she's going to be giving us a a preview on that and a full report. Um, But first, I want to bring on Micah Espinoza. Micah works for Sangre de Crystal Hospice. And last week he got his vaccination for COVID. Micah, what day did you get that? Um, That was actually this past Saturday. So almost a week ago. Okay. So that was when they were doing that just for medical workers, correct? Yeah. So it was, it was for uh, people with direct patient, um, patient care and first responders. And this was in Pueblo uh, there. Where was it at in Pueblo that you, that you went? So, so that round of vaccinations, actually, they had a, they had set up um, multiple, um, multiple appointments in different locations. So they had, they had one in, that some of our team went to Pueblo West for. Um, the one I actually went to was just on the north side. They had it set up at a fire station off of Eagle Ridge there at the north side of Pueblo. Okay. And so they had a couple different sessions for that, and I went to the, the last one. And you waited in line for just a little bit, right? Yeah, it really wasn't too bad. So they told us, you know, it was, there was a four-hour session. That's because of the, you know, they have to maintain those vaccinations at a certain temperature. So they gave us a four-hour window. Said from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. you could go just kind of drive up to it. And so um, luckily some of the people here at Sangre de Cristo Hospice had already gotten got their vaccination. So they told me to make sure I got there early. So I actually uh, got I my GPS would have got me there about 9.15 or so on Saturday morning. And as I was getting pretty close to the fire station, I look over and realize there's an entire line of cars just, I mean, all the way down the street with people waiting in there. So I flipped around and got back in line, and I was about a half a mile. Uh, 45 minutes early, I was about half a mile away from the fire station still. Oh, my goodness. So how long did you end up waiting in line? So I actually, so I got my, I got there about 9.15. I actually got my vaccination right about 11 o'clock in the morning. So oh, not okay. quite two hours. Yeah. So that's not, so not terrible. too bad. But of course, I mean, all the way, I got there at 9.15 and I still, and I saw people doing the same thing I did, driving, driving past us and then flipping around and getting in line. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause they just didn't realize that that was the line to that, to the whole thing. So, um, yeah, right. I mean, I well, yeah, like, and like I said, it, I mean, it was a, where I was, at was, about half a mile away still. So I don't even know how far back that line stretched by the time they opened at 10. And did you just use your business ID or your um, action or your, uh, your Sangre ID? Yeah. So they, they asked everyone to bring, you know, some sort of employment verification with the, you know, with your picture and name on it. Uh, for Sangre, we typically only have our first names on our name, on our badges. And so uh, they also have like a letter, that said, you know, this person is employed by Sangre and they'll 
you know, they need to get the vaccination. Okay. So we had okay. that just, just as a supporting documentation. They didn't ask me for that. The the badge was good enough. But, of course, like I said, this was the fourth session they'd had at Bobo for that group of of workers. So okay. for I, mean, I think they'd workers. probably seen enough Sangre de Cristo badges by then. We have a couple hundred employees here. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was fairly easy. And you had had COVID already um, back in at Thanksgiving yeah. time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was pretty easy. They just gave you the shot while you were still in the car, correct? Yeah, no, it was, it was really great. I mean, I was, of course, I didn't know what to expect and I thought it was probably going to be a little bit more, I was expecting to be somewhat chaotic, which is that many people going in, of course, you know, starting that far away from, from the facility when I was going for, for my vaccination, but it was great. I mean, they had, they had a bunch of workers out there from, from uh, public community health, helping people fill out their, their questionnaires, filling out their paperwork, um, you know, screening everybody. And they, I mean, they did an amazing job getting people through there as quick as possible to where, I mean, these, these workers were out there, it was like 28 degrees outside and they were, you know, keeping track of which cars had been screened. And there was, like I said, probably seven or eight people out there um, taking information. And so it went, it went so quick. I don't, I can't imagine how they could have done it more smoothly. I was really impressed. And then, yeah, I drove right up into the fire station. They had, they had two lanes going and just pulled up, rolled down my window. They gave me a shot and and then they asked us to stay, you know, just pull off for about 15 minutes. The CDC recommended it like a 15-minute window just to wait um, for side effects or anything like that after the vaccine. Okay. Um, no, that's awesome to hear. And I know one of the difficulties is keeping those vaccine, vaccines at the proper temperature um, so they can only right. have these short windows so it's a short burst. So um, did yeah. you have any side effects? Um, you know, so very honestly, the, the day after I got my vaccine, I don't, I don't really feel a hundred percent, but I don't know if that was just in my head. I didn't really feel any kind of, I didn't feel sick. I didn't feel, um, I know there were some people who reported gastrointestinal stuff or nausea or fatigue. And I, I personally didn't have any of that. Um, my shoulder was sore for probably two days afterwards. Kind of just felt like I had a bruise on my shoulder, Okay. but that was about it. So, I mean, really, really simple. I mean, not anything worse than, you know, a flu shot or something like that for me. Okay. So, um, did, uh, is everybody at, as far as you know, everybody at, at Sangre de Cristo hospice is just about taking care of, right. As far as getting vaccines, they're just about, everybody's had theirs already. Right. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, they did it, you know, they, they didn't really mandate it for us to do it, but it was something that, um, I think everyone really wanted to do, you know, just kind of oh yeah, like, and I was one of those people, like I said, there was, there was four different sessions that you could have gone to. And I, I ended up going to the very last one because, Honestly, I was one of those people who I didn't know if I was going to get the vaccine, if I wanted the vaccine. I'd already had COVID, so I didn't know if I needed the vaccine. Um, but, you know, really, I, I work in the Central Supply Center for, for Sangre de Cristo. So, I mean, I touch just about everything that all of our providers use, all of our patients use. And so it was really more for them. You know, I didn't want to be any part of spreading anything to anybody else. So that's why right. I got it. And I think just about everybody else has had it. I know... Like I said, um, obviously the the people the the clinicians the people who had direct patient care all all got it, and then pretty much every one of the like the support staff I've talked to have also gotten the vaccine. So I think just about everybody at Sandra has it. Yeah, oh, and it, it, it's important to to note too. I I read today that um, on some of the medical stuff coming out that they they said even if you had it, you think they think that there's about a five month immunity to it depending on when you got it because it mutated. 
But the more important thing right. with it is that you can still carry it. So you may have had it, you can still be a carrier. So that's why it's important for people that have already had it, if they can get the vaccine to get the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, and that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing, you know, we're just, we don't want to, like, you know, I don't want to have any part of spreading anything, um, especially like at hospice where people are coming already so, you know, vulnerable and fragile and stuff uh, health-wise. Um, it's really, yeah, it's it's absolutely worth it to get that vaccine and just make sure, just get that extra level of security to everybody. Well, and it wasn't that difficult. That I think that's the other thing, I, um, especially if you didn't have any side effects or anything. So that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it was barely an inconvenience, really. So, yeah, well worth it. Oh, that's awesome. So um, the you have a second round, correct? Or you have to finish it yes. up? Yeah. So you, so you go back for your second round within like 28 days. Okay. Okay. And so, so that's not so bad um, I have to look at a calendar, though, for sure. The little, and they give you a little card, you know, so that way you have the, the proof of vaccine and stuff that tells you all the information. There's also a, a website that you can... Um, register on and that'll actually give you like text you updates and stuff about about the vaccine and about you know when you're scheduled and all that stuff to get uh, your second round oh that's awesome well yeah um, so they make, Mike, I mean, yeah they make it as easy as possible oh thank you micah i appreciate that um and thanks for everything over at sangre you guys do such a wonderful job over there um all the workers just express our gratitude um when you when you get back over there Will do. Thank you guys so much. Thanks. Thanks, Micah. Bye. Bye. So that's, I, I would really wanted everybody to sort of hear um, what was going on. I know that there's some people who are nervous about it, but um, getting that vaccine is, is really important, especially for like what you said. Yeah. And it's, I know he said that there was a, a line, but I actually live by where he went to get the vaccine. And, um, I drove around the block and we measured it. So I drove from the fire station all the way around and it was, it was like a mile, mile and a half of people waiting for it, oh, but they're moving like in, in all honesty, there was no problems and they were moving through, but it was a heck of a line. That's um, we gotta, we gotta give a high five to Donald Moore when we talked to him again, that he put together a team that were, was moving everybody so efficiently and they did it in such a, a great way. I think that was one of the concerns, especially mm-hmm. the timing on this, the temperature of that. That's got to be a little bit stressful. Yeah. And shout out to the fire department too, because it was at the fire station. Over right. There, you know, at least the one I saw. And uh, I know that they, they organized it, the Pueblo police, they were there making sure nobody was blocking driveways, kind of just making sure it went smooth. And for the few days that I saw them lined up, it was actually pretty smooth. Just a little bit of a wait for people online but yeah other than that it was good so earlier this week they ran out when they opened it up to 70 plus um age 70 plus so now what they're doing is you have to pre-register to get it um it was just they're trying to serve like twenty-five thousand people in pueblo county fit into that demographic and it's not going to be as big in some of our other action 22 counties but it's going to be pretty big. So if you're wondering about the vaccine and about getting it, um, I think Micah gave us a really good indication of what that's going to be like to actually get it and and what, if any side effects at all. Um, But also just um, whoever your healthcare um, provider is, get with them 
and figure out how you can get in if you fit into that 70 plus category. Do it right away. There's no reason to wait on it uh, at all. I don't see. And also, if you go to our webpage, it has all the links to the um, the state. You know who gets the vaccination. What's the plan of rolling it out? Um, you know they they're doing it in phases, and we have all that information up. Yeah. So that's uh, www.action22.org. So I really am excited for our guest today. So Garen Vorthman is was recognized by Colorado politics as being one of the most influential lobbyists for Colorado. She's done some great work. She began her career um, with Wayne Allard and she's done a whole lot for Colorado Farm Bureau and she's done a whole lot for a whole bunch of other organizations. But as far as really bridging that urban rural gap, she is ever cognizant of it. And we look to her uh, quite often. Um, and she's, um, of course, her husband is on our board of directors. He's uh, Chad Borthman, who is the executive vice president for Colorado Farm Bureau. But she's been a wonderful asset. Uh, welcome. And thanks for coming on today, Garen. Thank you very much for having me. So um, we opened the session. So Colorado did it just a little bit differently. And we have, of course, we have listeners in Colorado, but we have listeners from um, around the country and, and even international listeners to the show. And they're always, I, I'm fascinated by their fascination with Colorado because we always do things a little bit different here. So even this session, we're doing it a little bit different. Yeah, um, as with everything in this time of COVID, it's kind of unprecedented what we're seeing and how they are approaching what normally is a regular session that would start and how it's different this year. So tell us a little bit uh, about, for people who aren't watching um, this as closely as we do, tell us a little bit about what those differences are. All right. Well, yesterday was the first day of the first general session for the 73rd General Assembly. And it was very quiet compared to normal years. The legislative leadership announced last week that they were going to work uh, from yesterday through this Friday. And then they're going to take a break, uh, a temporary recess until February 16th. And they strongly encouraged the general public and lobbyists to not come into the building and keep the crowds at a minimum due to COVID restrictions and trying to social distance. And so yesterday there was just a small group of lobbyists in the building. Most of them were working on the few bills that had to be introduced yesterday to run through these first three days. And like I said, it was just real surreal and real quiet. Oh, gotcha. So we were talking about, last week we were talking about everything that happened at the U.S. Capitol and Brian, having been there several times, was talking about um, the security there. And then we were comparing it to the security at the Capitol in um, Denver is always a lot more than the security for the U.S. Capitol and kind of how funny that is. So but you had mentioned earlier that there was some that there was a, a little bit of uh, an increased security there. Yeah, this year, because of reports that there could be some armed protests at state capitals around the country, there was increased security at the Colorado State Capitol yesterday. They have erected a fence that goes around the building, and they have uh, significantly limited um, the public entrances. And then the state patrol had a very much an increased presence at the Capitol, both inside the Capitol and on the Capitol grounds. Oh, that's great. That's great. 
so I, I have to share a story real fast. Um, I worked for Senator Allard as well back years ago. And um, what this, this kind of goes back to was uh, me and another Brian, Brian uh, Meinhart, um, we started about the same time and we went out to the Capitol. It was, you, you know, you get hired a couple of weeks in, you go out to the, the Capitol to get your training or the, you know, your office out there. Mm -hmm. And um, what goes back to the security, when we did it, like we walked in and nobody checked us and we we're kind of walking around. And at the time I didn't realize that nobody shows up to work out there until nine in the morning. Whereas in the, the state or district, you know, you, you show up at eight. So we went in at seven 30 and uh, we walked in and we finally found a, a Capitol police officer and they're like, oh, you got to go through security and like walked us back out after we were in to go through the, the security. But that, that just goes back that, and as I said on the, the last one, you know, the, the reason why it seems like there's lack security out there or, you know, there's more so in Denver versus DC, it's, there's a lot of people there. And, you know, it's our constitutional right. This is our building. We go in there. Um, it's accessible to everybody. So they want that to be as smooth and as easy as possible. Um, and that's a normal life, not dealing with what we're dealing with now. Right. But, but obviously it's, you know, not a, a dog on the Capitol Police or the security. It's just the Capitol building in D.C. is there for us to go to to engage with our legislator, legislators. And uh, the same for Colorado as well. It's just smaller so it's a little it's, easier to control right right so are they saying not for the lobbyists and for public to not um, be there after they go back uh, in a month or um they're hopeful that uh the legislators and capital staff were put into one of the higher levels of vaccine distribution and so should the legislators opt to get the vaccine they're hopeful that most of the uh, legislators will be vaccinated by the february 16th date and as well as the staff. And so that should significantly reduce the possibility of having an outbreak at the Capitol. Obviously, general public and lobbyists coming in um, may or may not be vaccinated. So that's still a concern. And they wanna continue to enforce some social distancing guidelines, maintain small groups, um, not having a lot of people congregate in small uh, rooms and that kind of thing. So they're strongly encouraging uh, lobbyists to not come in and if possible, participate remotely by testimony or sending in written testimony and coordinating client communications the same way. So I think that the when we think about a lobbyist at DC and a lobbyist in Colorado, those are two completely different animals. I has been my observation. I think lobbyists in Colorado tend to almost be more of a stakeholder role than the lobbyists that we think of when we when we use that term on the federal level. So how would how is that going to affect your job and how you do what you do? You know, I think we're all trying to figure that out right now. Um, we're, we're hopeful that the legislators who have bills will reach out early and do uh, significant stakeholding before a bill gets introduced. So that reduces or hopefully reduces the possibility of, a, of contention and the need to go in and express our opinion through testimony. Um, so hopefully that will happen on a lot of the legislation. And since we have this extra month that we don't normally have. I, I really hope that we see a lot of that outreach done early through the next few weeks. And then we can hit the ground running in February and, and not have as many of those contentious long hearings that we have typically had in a normal session. 
Um, I love that. Maybe this will be something that we do routinely after this, if it works, if it works, because I think always the complaint is we haven't had enough time to discuss this. Yeah. You hear that over and over mm -hmm. again. You haven't had enough time to get all the stakeholders involved. So I think that would be really great if, if this little month break would do that. So um, before we're going to go to the break in just a few minutes, but before there's, there was what, six or eight bills that were introduced? There were seven bills yesterday introduced, okay. and the plan is to run them and pass them uh, through tomorrow, Friday. And they were largely cleanup bills and technical fixes to legislation that was either passed in the 2020 general session or during the special session that was held in November. And okay. they are not controversial. They are um, just trying to wrap up some loose ends that were unintended uh, through the legislation last year. So it sounds like, and by the way, I love that, um, that they're actually doing what they said they were gonna do and just do that um, to, for this short little session. What was the spirit? Was everybody pretty cooperative yesterday? Um, it was very subdued compared to most years. And there was a lot of debate on uh, resolution joint rule 44, which is the joint rules for the House and Senate on how the session will be managed. And because we're in a state of emergency, we're having to to alter the rules to allow for things like public remote testimony and remote participation by lawmakers and those kind of things. And there was a lot of debate both in the House and Senate about the expansiveness of those rules and whether or not they were going too far or not. At the end of the day, they were ultimately approved. Uh, so I wouldn't say that it wasn't it, that it was uncooperative, but there was a little bit of controversy and a little bit of debate yesterday. Compared to what we see in the rest of the country, I think that sounds like a huge success. Yeah, I do too. And, and you know, at the end of the day, Colorado, we're, we're known for coming together and finding solutions that are for Colorado. Um, and our legislative leaders, whether they come from the Republican side or the Democratic side, they will roll up their sleeves and work together to find solutions that are right for the state of Colorado. They, they have always done such a great, a great job on that. Um, even when they disagree, they'll figure it out. Um, and, you know, it's, it's easy to, I think, for everybody to get into, while the session's going on, to get into the sky is falling mentality on, on all those little things. But yeah, when you hear people who are actually there talk about it, um, that's usually the report that we get. Um, so was there anything going to be introduced today that you know of? No, I think they got all of the bills that were expected introduced yesterday. And that's because it takes three days to pass a bill. And since right. they're going to go through tomorrow and not, and take a recess, they don't have time to pass a bill now unless they were going to start, um, coming back next Monday. Okay. Um, well, that's good. So, um, just, we're, we're going to go to break in about four minutes, but before we do, um, there's a long list of things that we need to be watching for, things that are going to get introduced after this, um, and I'll let you go into that list. Is there anything that you think was um, really at the top of the list that everybody was talking about um, that was uh, has become sort of irrelevant that's uh, going to fall off um, this year that we're going to be talking about completely different things, or is it going to be just sort of trying to continue what they started last year? 
I think we're going to see kind of a, a hybrid approach. We're going to see a lot of bills that are specific to addressing the pandemic and getting Colorado through this unprecedented economic struggle and helping Colorado families uh, survive and then thrive when, when the pandemic is over. Um, but we're also going to see some of the issues that started being discussed last year that had to be tabled because of the pandemic. Um, things with the cost of health care, uh, transportation is a perennial issue. So there's going to be some new things that are pandemic related and very focused, but we're going to see the traditional uh, conversations that we normally do as well. Okay, that'll be great. Um, is there anything um, new that we haven't discussed before that hasn't been discussed before besides on besides the COVID stuff that's just going to this is like a whole new thing? You know, I don't think it's very new. Um, we're seeing a lot of things come forward to help protect and support employees. And so they might be new to Colorado. They're not necessarily new to the business world or the business community in other states, but they are new to Colorado. And I think the pandemic has, has shown that some of these things need to be addressed a little bit sooner than what we probably would have um, had the pandemic not occurred. Okay. So there's a few new, brand new legislators that we are seeing in the state right now. Um, really quick, is there is that going to have an impact on sort of what's hap, you know what's been happening up there, or is is it going to be um, pretty much the same as it was uh, the new all the new legislators, new changes. I think it remains to be seen how those new freshmen coming in. I, I feel uh, my heart goes out to them because this is such a, a unique year and a different kind of session that it's not, they're not going to have the same experience that their fellow legislators who have been there for a few years have had. So they're going to be drinking from a fire hose as well as trying to figure out how to do it during a pandemic. Um, I think it will probably shape how they approach public policy for the rest of their legislative career. And um, hopefully that's a good thing. Do you see any emerging stars that are really gonna come in and, and make a big impact in a big, in a big hurry? Um, I'm really excited to see the work that uh, Senator Cleve Simpson is going to do. He is a new state Senator from the San Luis Valley. He, um, I think, He's going to be a voice for agriculture, which we have some already strong voices, but he's just going to add to that. And a lot of our current agriculture voices are um, towards the end of their legislative careers. And so he's going to be that new voice coming in and, and show some continuity there. So I'm really excited to see what he does. Um, and, and there's a lot of new legislators coming from the Denver area that I think they have some really... Um, bold plans. And I think if they can get their feet under them um, quickly, they're going to really um, shine soon. Oh, that's great. No, we're really excited about Cleve as well. Um, he is from the San Luis Valley. He's an Action 22 member. Uh, we've been having a lot of discussions in, for the last year back and forth. Uh, we knew straight away when he was going to run and we were happy to hear that. Um, I think he brings a water um, element to it, expertise in the water that we're really excited for. So when we come back from the break, I want you to get into and sort of roadmap specifics on a legislative preview. So we'll be back in just a moment with Garen Borthman.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to Making Action Happen on the Voice American Network. We have with us today Garen Forthman, who is partner with Colorado Legislative Strategies. She's uh, one of the most influential lobbyists in Colorado, and she's going to give us a little bit of a roadmap or a legislative preview. So what's going to be happening in Colorado during this session when it returns after a brief one-month recess. So, Garen, what are we looking at coming up? Thanks, Sarah. Um, Well, I think at top of mind is the state budget. And as everybody is probably uh, fairly aware, last year was an unprecedented budget year with the pandemic coming halfway through the fiscal year. And they had to cut $3 billion out of the state budget, which, which was a Herculean task by the Joint Budget Committee. And they they had to make some really, really difficult decisions and a pretty short amount of time last year. So looking forward to this next fiscal year, um, according to the December forecast, state revenue collections is actually better than they had originally expected. And estimates are anywhere between 2.6 and $3.7 billion. So that's getting close to 
the amount that we had to cut out of last year's discussions. However, this is only one-time money. It's a re- mostly a result of 2019 income tax collections that came in later in 2020, and they were a little bit higher than expected. Obviously, income tax uh, revenues are expected to fall for uh, 2020 with the economic impacts from the pandemic happening. So um, while the forecast is a better than what we had originally in- expected, it we shouldn't expect that it's going to continue to be that way, depending on how we bounce back economically from the pandemic. And that's the big concern right now. Everybody's, that's what we're discussing. That's our priority for Action 22 this year is how we actually do that. Um, And if we don't have a big bounce back, we're gonna be in a lot of trouble for 22, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. And there, you know, there's still a lot of unknown regarding what the federal government will do with additional stimulus money as well. So if there's packages that come forward, that will significantly uh, change what the JBC can do. And we just don't have that information right now. Yeah. And we're, we probably won't know it for a little bit, right? Yeah. I would expect that we're going to see it um, in rounds actually. So we'll have a little bit and then it'll be a while and then maybe more will come. Who knows? So for our listeners who aren't in Colorado, um, and even for the ones who are in Colorado, Colorado has a very unique um, in the country fiscal policy. Colorado fiscal policy is one of the more complicated in the country, but it's also nobody else does it this way. Um, So what are some of the things that we're facing in Colorado on that that maybe some other states aren't? we have a requirement that we have to have a balanced budget, pass a balanced budget on an annual basis. So uh, we, that's why the JBC uh, is a year round committee uh, at the Capitol and they are already talking and, and doing hearings with state departments to start hammering out what next fiscal budget year is going to look like and where they're gonna be able to make cuts and where they're gonna be able to maybe backfill some of the cuts they made last year and how they balance that. Um, Additionally, we have a lot of restrictions in our state constitution about the ability to bring in new revenues because we have the taxpayer bill of rights, which is commonly referred to as TABOR. They cannot, the legislature cannot pass a new tax increase without getting approval from the voters in Colorado. So that significantly Um, ties the hands of the legislature to raise new revenue to pay for new programs. We do see efforts to put into place user fees, and that is not considered a tax, so it does not have to have voter approval, but that's ways that the General Assembly can raise some money to pay for programs. There was a ballot initiative that was approved by the voters last November that does put a cap on some of the enterprise funds that can be funded, new enterprise funds that can be funded by new fees. Um, but that is still fairly um, high. And so we're, we expect that we're going to see quite a bit of legislation this next year that will put into place some user fees to help offset the budget impact. So the... And again, this is a, a Colorado thing. Um, Coloradans are not kidding about their the, about Tabor, about the Bill of Rights. They're not kidding about holding on to the basically the purse strings um, as far as increasing taxes or anything like that. So there's a lot that everybody's trying to do because um, past the only taxes that get passed in Colorado are what we call syntax. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, that's, that's something that if you're not in Colorado, you're not familiar with, um, but it's definitely a thing in Colorado. So besides budget, what else are we, what else are we going to see? So we're hearing that they're uh, one of, obviously the number one priority will be pandemic relief and trying to help Colorado families uh, get through this unprecedented, these unprecedented times. We expect we're going to see legislation about minimum wage for tipped workers, which will definitely impact the restaurant industry. And and that's an industry that has been disproportionately uh, hammered by the pandemic and the resulting shutdowns. So that's going to be a complicated conversation. We're also going to likely see a bill that we saw last session that didn't pass that would change workers' comp for COVID claims. And instead of putting the burden of proof on the employee, which is what workers' comp is currently does, it would put the burden on the employer to prove that the employee did not contract COVID on the work site or at the, on the job. So that's going to be a very significant change if that bill would pass. And, and we do know that that's coming back this year. We're also expecting some conversations about liability protection for COVID. If businesses have done everything they possibly can and put in protective measures, that they would be protected from liability. So that's kind of in direct conflict with the policy that would be the workers' comp conversation. So that'll be an interesting dynamic that we're going to see. And then somewhat related to pandemic relief, um, and I think it's being the excuse to run and the reasoning to run these bills is to address issues related to the pandemic, but I do think it's broader than just COVID, are things like gig workers and how contracted employees are classified, as well as uh, that, before I move on from that, that's been a significant fight in California. And interestingly enough, Speaker Garnett stated at an earlier business forum this week that he is very reluctant to have a fight about contracted workers and their classification this year because it was a multi-million dollar fight, both legislatively and at the ballot in California, that he thinks that that would be a distraction to more uh, general pandemic recovery discussions. And so he's reluctant to have that conversation. And then we so also- that, Let me, can I ask you just a couple mm-hmm. questions on that? Um, and Brian, I think you had a question. We have, we both have questions. Our little light bulbs went off. Talk a little bit about some specifics on what that contract worker, what are, what are the changes that are floating around? Um, contracted workers, they just have a different level of um, benefits and what the employer has to cover for those employees and where the, the crux of the argument is coming from are employees that are like for the technology companies, Uber, Lyft, those kind of companies, they typically are contracted employees. And the argument in California was um, they are they should be classified as regular employees of the Uber or Lyft company and not contract contractors. Um, and so that's really what they're trying to focus on is making sure that those kind of employees have protections and have coverage that are afforded to other regular non-contract employees. That would yeah, that's a very complicated and wildly expensive um, it very well discussion. Could yeah. yeah. And then along those same lines, we're anticipating there's going to be ag labor reform legislation this year. Um, agricultural labor is typically exempt from overtime and, and minimum wage laws. And we're seeing across the country efforts to change that dynamic. And so we anticipate that we're going to see that in Colorado as well. And that contracted employee conversation is also 
going to impact the agricultural industry because many, many of their employees are actually contractors and not um, full-time employees like um, other industries or businesses have. That, that can um, impact it across the board for all contract workers. Are they looking at it just for the, the Ubers, the Grubhub type contract workers, or is it across the board where you can have like a graphic design or web design to agriculture to even construction in some areas? You know, I'm not sure. I haven't seen any draft proposal put forward yet. I know in California, it was broader than just those gig workers that, that we're talking about, but I don't know if Colorado would try to be a little bit more focused or not. Okay. Um, what else? So moving on to education, um, you know, education is always a priority at the state capital K through 12 uh, funding and, and those kind of things. And so I think they are very, very focused on backfilling the budget cuts made during the 2020 session to K-12 and higher ed. And that higher than expected uh, revenue forecast that I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think they're gonna use a lot of that money to backfill those cuts to education. So that's gonna be significant. Um, other areas outside of the budget that they are talking about is increasing mental health services both for both students and teachers, obviously with having to go to remote learning for many, many uh, schools, it's it's put pressure on on our teachers to be able to to do what they do best and teach our kids. And then you know it's been hard for our kids to be isolated and not be with their friends and and only have connection through a, a video screen. So um, mental health is going to be a big topic of conversation. And then we're seeing um, conversations about changes to standardized testing or implementing waivers for this year. Obviously, there's going to be impacts from students not being able to learn in person and the resulting impacts to the annual testing and the growth that we are trying to track for our students and their learning from year to year. Um, we want to make sure that we're tracking their growth, but we also don't want to um, unfairly look at what this year is going to do uh, because it is so different. And so yeah. I think we're going to see some standardized testing conversations. And then finally, local school district funding, they are very reliant on the money that comes from the state for per, per pupil enrollment. And many of our school districts have seen enrollment declines as students have pulled uh, as parents have pulled their students from the public school and maybe homeschooled them or put them into a private school setting. And so we want to keep our school districts whole in light of declining enrollment and make sure that they're not uh, hammered fiscally for the loss of the students in a pandemic year. Um, that's a big one. And I think uh, one of the things that we don't um, think about, especially if it, they're bigger school districts, so for our smaller school districts, if they lose that funding and they have to let a teacher go for a lot of our smaller rural school districts, that means they can't graduate kids. They can't provide enough to graduate the kids. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's one of the bigger concerns um, that we're hearing over and over again. Um, and all those things that you listed, what's been the spirit? How has that, has that felt like, uh, and I know it's, there's, it's too soon to tell on some of these things, but has everybody sort of agreed that those are the primary things we need to address on the education side? Yeah, I think so. I think everybody on both sides of the aisle recognize that education has to be a top priority. I think there's some differing approaches from the Republicans and the Democrats on how to do that. Like the Republicans are saying they, they really want to be able to 
have this funding follow the students. So if their pupil per pupil funding that comes from the state, if the student is a homeschooled student or is an online student, um, they want that funding to, or at least a portion of the funding to go to that family to help pay for those expenses. Obviously that's going to have an impact on the school district because if they lose that per pupil funding from the person, from the student being in school in person, that that's, that's a concern for them. And trying to strike that balance is going to be a tough conversation that our general assembly is going to have to figure out. Yeah. What else? Um, healthcare. Uh, that, that's, as we all know, Colorado has um, very high healthcare prices across the state. Our rural citizens face exorbitant healthcare costs. And there's been a lot done over the last few years, but a lot more needs to be done. And last year, uh, the public option bill was introduced. It happened to be introduced the week that they shut down for the COVID uh, recess. And so it, it didn't ever move forward. But that was a very, very, very contentious proposal. And the bill sponsors agreed that when they came back last May to finish out the 2020 session, they agreed to pull it from consideration for last year because of the uh, pressures that our hospital system doctors and nurses were facing because of COVID and the combating that the virus. Um, but that is going to come back this year. We don't know what it looks like yet. The sponsors have said that it will be different from last year's proposal. And they haven't re yet released any details. Um, the healthcare stakeholders are getting very frustrated with the lack of communication from the uh, proponents of this plan um, because they want they want to come to the table and, and know what are the potential fixes. Uh, there is indication that policymakers will allow hospitals and insurance plans to have up to two years to negotiate how they will reduce costs and offer a plan that comes from the healthcare side of the conversation. Um, and if they don't do that within the two-year time frame, then they would automatically get put into the Colorado plan. We don't know what that Colorado plan would be yet, but that is a pretty significant encouragement to the industry to, to come forward with some significant proposals to help address healthcare costs in, in the state. And are we going to know in two years what that should look like, or should that be extended, do you think? The two years should go to like three or four years. I think that's something that we're, we're going to have to wait and see. Obviously, I think a big part of that conversation will be how long the COVID pandemic lasts and how long the impacts from COVID impact our healthcare system. That could very well lead to a, a need for a longer time frame. But at the same time, I, I think the proponents are very, very much wanting to address healthcare costs now. And, and I don't think that they're going to be very open to uh, much more of a delay. Yeah. Well, it was, it was something that was um, huge and so much discussion going into last year. Um, I thought, yeah, this is, this is going to be a, a rolling a boulder up a hill yeah. on that one. It and it's not just about the cost of hospitals. We're, we're anticipating that there's going to be drug price transparency legislation again, plus drug affordability review board to help address the costs of drugs in the healthcare cost uh, formula, as well as expanding drug importation. So uh, the state can bring in more drugs from other countries. Uh, and so that they're very complicated conversations and, and we'll, we'll have to see uh, 
how those go over the next couple of months. Are they going to try to do with this? So all the issues that go along with, with um, the costs of, of healthcare and, and they're going to be different now. We don't know what that's going to look like, but all of those, are they going to try to capture every issue do you, do you think with this, or is it just going to be sort of a, we're going to deal with what we can right now, and then we'll move on. And it's a sort of a quilt, if you will, moving forward. I don't think we know that yet. Um, I, you know, we have a hundred legislators at the Capitol, and I think that could very well lead to a hundred different ideas on how to address healthcare costs. So I don't know that there's one that is being coalesced around right now. So it could be very focused, or it could be a whole bunch of different policy proposals. We don't know. There's a lot of, we don't know yet. Yes. Yeah. Has there um, been any discussion that you know of um, in addressing the homeless situation in Colorado? Cause I, I know it affects everywhere from the rural communities to the, the Denver Metro area, but um, that I, I think just looking at everything going on and some of the feelings dealing with everything from the pandemic to this was a problem that would seem to be ramping up prior to COVID. But it, do you have a sense if they're discussing this, if they're looking at any solutions or anything like that dealing with homelessness? You know, I haven't heard of a lot of specific homelessness policies. Um, access to affordable housing is really, really important. And so there's been multiple proposals over the last few years, and I expect there will be continued effort to try to increase the amount of affordable housing in um, Colorado so mm -hmm. we can help get people into those um, in, into a home and have it be more stable and affordable for them. Um, that is such a unique issue that I think it's going to take a lot of conversation because back to the mental health part mm -hmm. of, in education, mental health is such a big component of homelessness. Yes. Drug use and drug abuse is also a, a very big part of the whole conversation. And so I don't think we can find one solution or try to address one side of the problem. I think we're going to have to find a holistic approach. And when going forward with everything, um, I, I know this is just a small piece of what's going to come throughout the session when they, they get back, but do you feel that there's a, an expectancy that there's going to be more federal money coming down with the change in the administration? I know um, President-elect Biden said that they are going to work on some sort of stimulus package or COVID relief package as soon as, as, soon as it gets there. Um, is the the state and the legislature, are they, are they working in a way that they're expecting something or is it kind of like, you know, we're going to take care of ourselves and not expect outside help, but if it does come, we will gladly accept it. I do think that the, the legislators believe that there will be a federal stimulus money coming. What that looks like and what restrictions are, are coupled with that, how it can be spent, if it's going to be very focused or if it's going to leave a lot of, uh, let the state kind of figure it out yeah. that we don't know that yet. I think the JBC is writing the budget based on the forecast that we have right now. And that okay. forecast does not include any additional federal stimulus money. Okay. The next forecast comes out in March. So if we have federal money that comes in between now and March, that will obviously be taken into account at that updated uh, forecast. Okay. 
So in the last few minutes, Garen, um, and I wish we could talk a little bit longer because I think you and I could visit for quite a while, but in the last few minutes that we have, what's the top of Garen Borthman's list of priorities for, um, for this session? Um, I think we're going to see a lot of conversation about modernization of the tax code, um, looking at tax credits and expenditure programs. That's the, the legislature has said that they need to modernize and close some of those exemptions and credits because of the income tax reduction that was passed by the voters. That's going to be a big conversation and, and how that impacts the business community through a pandemic is going to be a very difficult thing to, uh, to figure out. Uh, transportation is also, we're getting closer and closer to possibly a bipartisan uh, proposal to increase funding for transportation. So be looking out for those conversations. And then I would say that um, a top of mind for me right now is wolf reintroduction uh, that was passed <laughs> by the voters. Um, yes. Yesterday, Governor Polis directed the Wildlife Commission to try to reintroduce the wolves by 2022, which is a significantly a uh, faster timeframe than what the ballot proposal said, which said by the end of 2023. Uh, obviously that is a, a big issue. And I, I think that the voters barely passed the Wolf Initiative. Yeah. Yes. And I think we need to take this slow and recognize that this was a very controversial proposal that impacts rural Colorado, especially in Western Colorado. And we, we really need to do it right. I agree. Um, I think we're going to have a conversation about that. We did. Um, that was one of our first shows. And I think we're going to have to have a conversation about that again. But with that, we are out of time. Garen, thank you so much for coming on and visiting with us. Um, we're going to be calling you back and give uh, later on um, during the session, have you give us some more updates if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. I look forward to it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Making Action Happen with Action 22 on the Voice America Network. We will talk to everybody next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.